Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hey, everybody. If this is your first time listening, let me just give you a little information here at the top of the episode. This is not a normal episode of Obscure History. Every Thursday, I release a companion episode to the week's main episode that releases on Sunday night. I call these companion episodes Thursday Footnotes. So before you listen to this, go ahead and listen to Sunday's episode, which is titled Ambrose Bierce, the Master of Terror and Sarcasm, unless you're one of those weird people who enjoy spoilers. Each Thursday footnote is broken into five sections. They are five things I wish I could have included in the episode, four good sources that I used that are worth your time if you're interested in researching on your own, three 30-second ads just to pay the bills, two listener questions which can be submitted on social media or by email at obscurehistorypod at gmail.com, and finally, one quote from somebody involved in the main episode, or maybe just a quote that stuck out to me as I was researching. With all that said, let's get into the first ever Thursday footnote. Here are five things I wish I could have included in the main episode. The first thing that I couldn't quite fit into the episode was Ambrose Bierce's role in foiling the railroad refinancing bill. Basically, Union Pacific and Central Railroad companies were given very low interest rates from the federal government to build the first transcontinental railroad. The president of Central Railroad, Collis P. Huntington, convinced a certain member of Congress to introduce a bill that would have excused the two companies from repaying those loans. In total, about $130 million would have been forgiven, which is about $4 billion in 2021 money. William Randolph Hearst, the newspaper magnate and Ambrose Bierce's then-employer, caught wind of the bill and sent Bierce to investigate. Bierce traveled from San Francisco to Washington, D.C. to report on the bill, and while he was there, his long articles about the nature of the bill and the intentional secrecy surrounding it caused an outrage among American citizens. A frustrated Collis P. Huntington met Ambrose Bierce on the Capitol steps and asked how much it would take for Bierce to stop reporting on the issue. Famously, Bierce said, My price is $130 million. If, and when you're ready to pay, and I happen to be out of town, you may hand it over to my friend, the Treasurer of the United States. Number two. Ambrose Bierce was basically accused of foreshadowing President McKinley's assassination in a poem. It's one of those really weird coincidences where the poem was actually about a different politician's murder, But because Ambrose Bierce was such a controversial figure, people sort of inferred meaning where there really wasn't any. After the assassination, people went back to this poem that he had written a year or two prior and tried to blame him for inspiring McKinley's murderer. Obviously, as we look back on events with perfect hindsight, we can see how foolish that claim is. But in the moment, maybe it did seem reasonable that people would read this poem and think that Bierce was somehow rooting for McKinley's death. His poem is, The bullet that pierced Goebel's breast 
cannot be found in all the West. Good reason it is speeding here to stretch McKinley on his beer. Number three. I would have loved to really dive into Ambrose Bierce's personal philosophy a bit more. He was a lifelong agnostic, which is essentially the belief that the divine and supernatural are far beyond our mortal abilities to understand, and he was also a lifelong cynic, which is, philosophically speaking, uh, a person that believes that fame and wealth and power and societal acceptance are basically meaningless, and the only true purpose a person has in their life is to live in harmony with the natural order. This is a really interesting combination. Basically, not to speak for the dead or anything, but it seems as if Ambrose Bierce believed that the divine is unknowable and the material is too temporary to care about. Thus, the only thing that should be given concern is living a simple and natural life. As a philosophy nerd, I find this aspect of his character very intriguing, and I would have loved to add it to the main episode, but I just couldn't find the right way to get it into the narrative without forcing it. 4. Maybe this is a little basic, but I would have loved to include more of his writing. I mean, I know that I literally featured an entire story of his at the end of the episode, but it's just so good, and it's really hard to discuss an artist without featuring their art. I found some really good recordings of his stories that were in the public domain, which basically means that I can mess with them without getting shut down. And, I mean, like, I read four entries from the Cynic's workbook, but I wish that I could have read, like, ten or twenty or thirty. I guess it is my show, and I could have done it, but just because I can do something doesn't really mean that I should do something. The real trick to making obscure history is choosing a topic framing a narrative, and then communicating it effectively. Those are my three pillars of this show. I didn't get into the railroad bill because my narrative for the episode was focusing on his impact in the horror genre, so it didn't really fit. And similarly, having like two hours of audiobooks in my podcast uh, doesn't seem like it fulfills the third pillar of communicating effectively. And finally, number five, I wish that I could have gotten into my personal experience with the horror genre a bit more. I love a good horror film or spooky story, and I could have really dug into that during the intro bit, but I already knew that the episode was going to be kind of long, so I didn't want to push my time any farther. I remember skipping school as a kid to watch AMC's 31 Days of Halloween on TV. It's sort of lame to say, I guess, but, like, I saw Friday the 13th and the Halloween series and the Scream films, like, I saw all of those in the TV version before I ever saw the full versions when Netflix became a thing or whatever. It's kind of this funny, weird quirk, I guess, but I kind of like those versions even better. They have this kind of campy charm that just blasts me with nostalgia, especially when they have, like, overdubbed words where the profanity should be. It just cracks me up, and it gets me into this nostalgic mood like nothing else. I also got really into B-movie horror films when I was a teenage delinquent. My friends and I would meet up on Monday after school and watch a terrible movie together. We called it Bad Movie Mondays, and it was literally the most fun. We watched Troll 2, Mother's Day, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, and a handful of other stinkers that year. It was one of my favorite memories from high school, and those movies are still some of my very favorites. I really wanted to wax poetic about this in the main episode, but I just really couldn't fit it in without forcing it. And my personal number one rule for writing for this show in a way that fulfills the three pillars is 
Don't force stuff that doesn't fit. Now we're on to our four good sources. The first source that I'll pass along to you guys is actually the entirety of the Cynics wordbook. You can find it at Project Gutenberg. According to their Wikipedia, Project Gutenberg is a volunteer effort to digitize and archive cultural works, as well as to encourage the creation and distribution of ebooks. It's a sort of library of literary works that are within the public domain. It's always good to get information from as close to the source as possible, which is really easy with notable artists who produced their work before 1900, because at that point it is almost certainly in the public domain, which gives me a lot better access to it and improves my ability to use it without fear of getting sued. The second source that I'd pass along to you is The Many Deaths of Ambrose Bierce. It's a great article written for the Paris Review by Forrest Gander. Forrest Gander is an award-winning poet, novelist, and translator. His numerous books include As a Friend, Science and Steepleflower, Core Samples from the World, and The Trace, which will be published in November. He is the A.K. Seaver Professor of Literary Arts and Comparative Literature at Brown University, so obviously it is extremely well-written and well-researched. In my opinion, it's pretty much the definitive article on the subject of Ambrose Bierce's fate. The third source that I'd like to pass along to you guys is actually the Poetry Foundation's entry on Ambrose Bierce. The Poetry Foundation is a really great website for all things poets and poetry. It's a highly respected blog and magazine that is basically an encyclopedia of literature. Their entry on Ambrose Bierce is where I got some of my favorite quotes from the episode. Their analysis of his literary style and legacy was spot on and was beautifully written. Unfortunately, I can't find an author for this entry, but whoever wrote it is very talented, and their assessment of Ambrose Bierce's work is very thorough. There are some links to his poems and short stories on that website, which makes it an even better place to look. And finally, number four is AmbroseBierce.org. So, it's a really cool site that is totally dedicated to Ambrose Bierce. I mean, it's kind of antiquated, like you can really tell that it wasn't made with Squarespace or whatever, but the information seems pretty um, pretty reasonable, and it's pretty well organized as well. It's got links to a lot of his works, which is cool, uh, but my favorite part of this website is actually uh, they have sort of a loose timeline of Bierce's career, and that was a super helpful tool in forming a sort of chronology of his life. It can be really tricky to nail down particular events in the context of a person's life, like specifically with Ambrose Bierce, did his son try to kill his ex before or after he started working for the examiner? Those are questions that come up in every episode that probably don't seem important, but I literally spend more time on those questions than probably anything else. They're really important to hammer out and can take some time to get right. So having a little timeline on that website was super helpful. There will be a link to all of these sources in the show notes if you'd like to look through them yourself. Short ads. About 90 seconds is all it takes to keep obscure history coming. Thanks for listening, and when we get back... We'll get to our two listener questions and our one final quote. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We arrived at our two listener questions. Okay, so this first question comes in from Ariel Nissenblatt on Twitter. If you want to get your questions answered, then just write in. It's super easy. Twitter at AllThePeoplePod, because Twitter doesn't let you change your username. Instagram at ObscureHistoryPodcast, because Instagram does let you change your username. Or by email at ObscureHistoryPod at gmail.com. I promise to read everything you send in. I might not answer it on the air, but I will for sure read it and at least send you a DM or an email back. Ariel asks, What's your favorite example of, wow, those people lived at the same time? <laughs> I don't know if she put that inflection on there, but I did, and I'm keeping it. Uh, so, I love this question, and I don't really have a specific example of two people that existed at the same time, but I have a really fun example of two different civilizations existing at the same time that people almost never seem to realize. So, think about the Central American civilizations the Maya, the Aztec, the Inca, when do you think they existed? Like, when were they doing their thing? Building pyramids, drawing geoglyphs in the sand? When was that? A lot of the time, people will put those civilizations way farther back in the human timeline than they should, simply because of the way they've been portrayed in popular media. jungle people who still use stone tools and are sort of like developmentally delayed or something. But we never think that about the Roman Empire. We think of the Roman Empire as one of the most advanced ancient civilizations. They built the Colosseum and the Leaning Tower of Pisa, and it's like, 
Good job, I guess. Cool. However, literally at the exact same time, the Mayans were entering the height of their classical period. Though we think of the Mayan as primitive because how they've been shown to us, they were actually super advanced. They discovered the number zero, which is literally the basis of all modern mathematics. They developed an advanced writing system, which they used to fill books. They developed a calendar that was shockingly accurate, and they projected it like centuries into the future. And listen to this. They knew about stitches and often used human hair to suture wounds. They also regularly made casts to speed the healing and recovery of fractures and other bone breakages. By all accounts, they were particularly skilled at dentistry and used iron pyrite as tooth fillings. Mayan witch doctors were also skilled in creating prosthetics from jade and turquoise and used obsidian for making cuts. That's from Interesting Engineering. Does that sound like a primitive culture? I don't think so. I'm sorry that they didn't build a sports dome. They were too busy building pyramids and making prosthetic limbs out of jade and turquoise. The second question that comes in today is from the ladies at Terrified and Tipsy. They ask a really fun two-part question. They say, if you could travel back in time 200 years, one, who would you meet? And two, how would you convince them that you are from the future? So I'm going to take this question super literally. If I was put in a SpongeBob-style time machine and was sent back exactly 200 years into the past, I would travel to Austria. I would then go hunt down a 29-year-old man named Johann Georg Heidler. Now, before I say exactly what I'm about to say, just know that I am a pacifist. I wouldn't arrange for this particular man to be unalived or removed from existence, but I would, like, definitely convince him to maybe not marry his wife or persuade him never to have children at all. You see, Johann Georg Heidler is... Hitler's grandpa. And according to my quick research, uh, if I traveled exactly 200 years back from today, uh, it doesn't look like he would have had any children yet. So there's still time. I could have done a whole back to the future logic, like set him up with somebody else's grandma. And maybe if I played my cards right, we would never have had Hitler as we knew him today. I mean, we'd still have to worry about Stalin and Mao and Pol Pot and all the other horrible dictators, but it would get one out of our hair for sure. And, you know, hey, that's an improvement. Now, the second part is definitely trickier. I don't think I would try to convince them that I came from the future because they would probably execute me on sight for being a witch. However, I would bring a sack full of synthetic rubies with me. They wouldn't know the difference. I could buy them for super cheap. I'd be like an 1800s millionaire and I could just live the rest of my days out as a duke or something. <laughs> now, before you laugh at that joke, I stole it. That idea was actually Skid Mars from the Glass Cannon Network. It's his bit, but I legitimately think it's a great strategy, so I stole it. I mean, if you're going to send me back, I might as well make the best of it. And finally, we have arrived at our one quote. This quote guided me through my research, and I actually found it pretty early on in my research process. Ambrose Bierce once wrote, Democracy is four wolves and a lamb voting on what to have for lunch. I know it doesn't really pertain to his life or his works in the horror genre, but as it was one of the first things that I read of his, um, it really informed me of his character. That quote is a terribly pessimistic way to look at democracy, or life in general, 
but that attitude tracks through everything that he ever wrote. That cynicism is central to understanding how this man lived and operated. I think it's a very clever quote, but more so I feel like it really let me get to know him better. And getting to know the subject better is always a good thing when you're writing. All right, guys, thank you for tuning in to the first ever Thursday Footnotes. I appreciate you all. Um, so I'll put in some listener shout outs here next week, maybe give you all, all like a week to write in. Um, and also, I would love it if somebody out there in the audience would make me a beat or send in a song to use at the end. You guys know that I love a good outro song. <laughs> I just can't help myself. I'm a sucker for an outro. But anyways, thank you guys so much. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, let me know. Go ahead and write in. I already linked, already told you about all the socials in the email. I'd love to get your feedback because I love to bring you guys content. And this seemed like it was going to be a good way for me to, um, you know, sort of have a companion for the main episodes. And uh, yeah, let me know what you think. Good, bad, ugly, whatever. I'm here for it. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you guys all. I gotta go. I've got like a bunch of stuff cooking. I'll see you guys later.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.